Welcome to the Recess Nurse Podcast. Elevating emergency nursing, one episode at a time. I'm your host, Yunsi Dursa. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Recess Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Yunsi Dursa. So I have one announcement to make before this next episode. Um, Many of you have reached out to me via Twitter, email, or Facebook and have been concerned uh, that this podcast was going to go away. Um, I apologize for being silent. Uh, Long story short, I was sick and I had to get surgery and I've been recovering. Um, I am pretty much better now, but I am trying to catch up with everything. So I did have to take a lot more time off uh, just to take care of myself. So I hope everyone understands that. Um, But I'm better now and I am working on catching up on all the episodes that I had originally planned for 2018. Hey everyone, my name is Yunsi and For today's episode, I want to talk about having a nursing intubation checklist. So intubation, um, when you're intubating a patient, there are basically four main parts. You have the decision that you're going to, that you're intubating a patient, and then you're setting up for intubation, then you're actually intubating the patient, and then there is post-intubation care. Now, I'd like to add just like even like a pre-step to that, which is if you have a patient, let's say, who is on BiPAP and you really want to give this patient a chance to um, maybe blow off that PCO2. But now this patient is failing and, you know, as a provider, you're concerned, okay, you know, we may have to intubate that patient. And when you have that discussion, um, either with a resident or attending, whoever, Uh, You should really have that discussion with the nurse as well. So any providers who are listening, please communicate this with um, whoever the nurse is who's taking care of the patient. And if you're a nurse and you're wondering, hey, are we going to intubate? You should totally go up to the doctor and be like, hey, you know, um, any plans on intubating? (laughs) Um, Because we have a lot of stuff that we need to set up. So now we're setting up, let's say we decide to intubate and we're setting up for intubation. There are a lot of um, good checklists for doctors for um, to set up for intubation, but it really just covers with the actual airway part and doesn't cover all like that goes on during an intubation. So nurses, we have a lot that we need to set up for intubation as well. And over the years, I have um, come up with my own personal checklist, uh, for intubation. So any nurses who are out there who you feel like, you know, we need to add things, uh, feel free to comment. Um, we'd love to hear what you're doing. Um, so I'm going to be honest. I do not like intubating patients until my checklist is also done. (laughs) Um, I don't have that many on my checklist, but, um, but I, I think it's important. And the reason why is because after the after intubation, then post-intubation care happens and it's very nursing heavy. 
And if you are not prepared and you may be the only person, uh, the only nurse taking care of that patient, you really don't have the time to prepare after in intubation. So I like to have everything ready to go and to anticipate because generally when a patient codes or a patient um, starts to uh, get very, very sick or it's not because the intubation went bad, um, but it's the post-intubation care. And it, it is a little bit of a critical time for the patient. So um, just a couple of things uh, during post-intubation care, your provider really should be sticking around for this. Um, especially if a patient's really sick, uh, you should tell the provider that they need to stick around, that they should not go back upstairs. You know, I don't know how, if anesthesia decides to, um, do the procedure and it wasn't your ER doc, then, um, then they need to stick around and do post-intubation care. Now, this is my intubation checklist, um, and I tried to do it for all RSIs, DSIs, and even um, and definitely on for an awake intubation. Um, for RSIs, it's a little bit tricky because sometimes I'm unable to set everything up, but the this is basically it. So here's my nursing intubation checklist. I like to have two to three IV lines. I prefer three. Um, if someone's BP is already tanking, then I'm, I may even put four or five, uh, peripheral IVs in before I, um, intubate, or maybe I'm putting it in as they're intubating. What I can't stand, um, is when a provider tells me, Hey, don't worry about that second IV line, or don't worry about the three IV, uh, the third IV line, we'll just put a central line in afterwards because this patient's going to need a central line and an A line. When a provider tells me that, I definitely don't listen to them. And I put in the third IV line uh, before intubation. And the reason why I do that is because if the patient's blood pressure is that low and you know that this patient is going to need vasopressors, I can guarantee that um, after intubation, that transient hypotension is going to come on pretty quickly, and you're going to have to have both sedation and you're going to need a vasopressor drip. And having two lines may not be enough. So I like to have three um, when that situation happens. And then on top of it... Um, even if your provider is awesome at putting in central lines, it could take 20 to 30 minutes. Um, so unless it's a dirty line, but you want a clean, you want an aseptic line. So it's going to take 20 to 30 minutes. Your patient probably won't have 20 to 30 minutes to spare uh, because that's generally how long the transient hypotension lasts. Uh, and, you know, so the last thing you want is to be scrambling, especially if, the patient is a hard stick as well. So I would say if you, you know, if you have the time and you need to just use the ultrasound machine and throw in, um, a couple of good IV lines before intubation. That way, you know, if something happens, you got the lines there. Now, I just want to make a quick comment. If, um, if your patient is, let's say a traumatic arrest or hemorrhagic, um, is in hemorrhagic shock 
and you know you're going to require generally two large bore IVs. Look, if you're if you're in a crunch, a time crunch, and this patient is a really really hard stick, and you know you can get a 20 gauge in there, but you you're like questionable about the 18, just go for the 20 gauge. Honestly, I'd rather that there's a good working IV line that I can still run product through than for you to attempt and then you blow a good chance of having good IV and then it's like we don't have enough IVs uh, for a patient. So you can always do the 18 gauge later um, by ultrasound or, you know, but sometimes you just don't have the time for ultrasound IVs um, in these situations. So just do it. Just use a 20 gauge medlock. Um, you know, this is really not one of those times when your, your ego gets in the way of patient care. So just put in a 20 gauge. Um, now the second, second part of my intubation checklist are orders for medications. So you should know which intubation medications, uh, you need to have drawn up. And then more importantly, um, or just as importantly, I should say, uh, you should know which post-intubation sedation medications that uh, you, you're going to need. Once you have your orders for your intubation medications and then also your post-intubation sedation, start drawing them up. So I, I start with the intubation medications. I draw them up. I label them. Um, and then I do keep them in my pocket. Next, I will prime and hang the post-intubation sedation drips and I just have that ready at the bedside. Now, the other discussion that you may have to have is if a person's blood pressure is low, this is the time while we're having this discussion with the provider as to whether push those pressors need to be administered prior to intubation um, or maybe you need a vasopressor drip like a norepinephrine drip prior to intubation um, these are things that need to be discussed. So um, if you are in a really bad RSI and you really can't wait to have the post-intubation sedation primed and ready to go, then that's when I hand over the intubation medications. Um, and then that way that can be started so we can have airway for the patient. Um, but oftentimes there's enough time to get everything set up. And by the time you have everything set up, the providers will have everything set up on their end and, um, and you can get going. Uh, worst comes to worst, you're intubating patient and you do have a little bit of time um, post-intubation to start your um, post-intubation sedation. But I find that often um, that time frame anywhere between like 15, 20 minutes, it seems to go away really, really quickly. So I like to have everything primed and ready to go. Don't have to think about it. I start it um, at a really low dose and then um, and then go from there. So right now there's a fentanyl shortage. So if you're using a hydromorphone drip in replace of fentanyl drip, um, blood pressure is a huge concern. Um, so you may have to use a midazolam drip instead, which I hate using. Um, but you know, it is what it is. So, um, so that those are your choices, propofol, 
um, propofol, fentanyl, but right now I don't have fentanyl in my shop. So I'm using hydromorphone. Um, and then if the blood pressure is low, I'm switching over to midazolam. Now, of course, we're going to say, okay, we can use ketamine drip, but most, um, in most facilities, the units, they, they do not use ketamine drip. So I'm, I'm, I, I don't think it's worth emphasizing because you won't be able to send that patient upstairs. <laughs> um, so what I also will have are a bunch of other um, pumps and channels ready to go on an IV pole, um, especially if I feel like maybe, you know, sometimes you have to start a presser uh, prior to intubation, um, or sometimes you may use a push dose presser prior to intubation um, just to cover uh, for the blood pressure, but you may need it post too. So I like to have everything ready to go and I'm not scrambling. Oh my God, like where's this channel or where's this pump? Um, And then Sometimes um, you may also need an A-line setup. So if you already know, like you've already had this discussion with provider, um, you, you know, this is a good time to have that A-line setup ready to go to. Now, you're definitely going to need two suction canisters. Um, they should be turned on to continuous high and they should be attached to Yankar section. Uh, this is on a provider's intubation checklist, but they usually don't know how to set it up. So you're going to end up setting it up. Um, I also like, I think I mentioned already push those pressers on the side and you should have your crash cart defibrillator nearby just in case and your ACLS meds nearby. And you will, you may or may not need, uh, to, to risk, uh, the soft restraints. Um, and then if RT, uh, if your respiratory therapist is available, awesome. Um, but if not, you may also have to be RT. So if that's the case, you're going to have to hyperoxygenate your patient. Um, so if you're, let's say your patient's already been on BiPAP, you're going to have to increase your FiO2 to hundred percent. Um, and that will be a great way to hyperoxygenate your patient. And so you just leave the mask on until you're ready for intubation, basically. Um, the alternative is you can throw on a nasal cannula and a non-rebreather at the same time, and you can hyperoxygenate them that way. Um, so then the other thing is you will need to have a BVM and make sure you attach it to oxygen and have it turned on and ready to go. Don't say, oh, I'll turn it on one day intubate. Just have it turned on and ready to go. Um, same with the CO2 monitoring. You have it all attached, have all of your little... Um, attachment so that it's going to fit onto the tube um, immediately after insertion. Um, And then you need to have a tube tamer and you should know how to use your tube tamer. Uh, Sometimes even within a facility, different units may use different tube tamers. So know how to use it. Uh, Just so you know, if you need to, I'm definitely going to do a vent episode, but um, just some super basic initial vent settings. You would put the put it on AC mode. A rate can be anywhere between 12 to 18. Uh, tidal volume, let's say 420 to 450 mLs. And just remember it's ideal body weight, um, not actual body weight for tidal volumes. And then you can start with a P supported 3.0, V supported 3.0. Start with a FiO2 of 100%, but um, you do not want to keep that patient um, 
you actually don't ever want that patient to be uh, having an oxygen saturation of 100%. So you should titrate down the FiO2 so that the oxygen saturation is actually between 94 to 99%. Um, and then you can do a PEEP of five. Now, you know, after intubation, after you get things going, you may need to work with and change the P support PEEP and uh, maybe the respiratory rate, but that'll be a different discussion. Um, now, finally, I'm just going to add a couple things on the provider's intubation checklist because sometimes they don't know where things are. A bougie, oral airway, and LMAs. Um, sometimes, you know, the provider is so excited to open up that intubation box that the oral airway gets um, ends up being under a pile of other stuff. So... If if it becomes a difficult airway, sometimes you need to slip in that oral airway and bag the patient and then go for a second attempt. And if that's the case, then sometimes that oral airway somehow gets lost. So I like to know exactly where my oral airways are. And sometimes I just have one in my pocket that I can hand over. Um, and then finally, LMAs, they... Um, you know, you may have a failed intubation. And if that's the case, you throw, you know, just hand over LMA and they can just throw in the LMA. Um, so at least we have some sort of an airway. Um, and then they can go in for a second attempt. Okay, so then you may also need to hand over some sheets. And that is going to help with uh, optimal head placement. And sometimes for an anticipated difficult airway, uh, the sheets may not be enough. So help the provider by um, pumping up or pumping down the stretcher, maybe even doing a little bit of a slight reverse Trendelenburg. Sometimes that's that um, or or going trend, Trendelenburg position. You know, sometimes it's a little bit of just try this and try that. Um, uh, usually the providers are very quick of getting the intubation box, so you don't have to worry about that. And then they should have um, backup. Uh, situation. So, you know, it should never only just be one blade set up. There should be like a backup uh, um, for in case something goes wrong. So let's say the tube went in successfully. Before you start high-fiving yourselves, um, you need to secure that tube. So secure the tube and just make sure you know what size it is. Um, is it cuffed? Is it uncuffed? Is it If it's cuffed, uh, make sure the provider puts um, some air in, inflate the cuff. Um, and then note what centimeter it is at the lip and where which side of the mouth or where in the mouth that this tube is secured. So for example, you can say um, 7.5 ETT cuff, 25 centimeters at the lip and secured at the center of the mouth. So that's pretty much my nursing intubation checklist. Um, it's fairly simple, but it's just a lot of things to gather and prep before actual intubation. Um, but if you're able to do all of this, it will set you up really nicely for post-intubation care, which will be part two of this discussion. Um, so just a quick review. Uh, you need multiple IV lines, two at a very minimum. Uh, you'll need verbal orders of your intubation medications and your post-intubation sedation. You'll need pumps, channels, suction canisters, uh, possibly A-line setup, push those pressers, uh, maybe a norepinephrine drip already infusing or primed and ready to go. 
Um, you'll need soft restraints for the wrists. Um, have a crash cart defibrillator nearby, ACL meds in case there's an arrest. Um, and then you'll need to hyperoxygenate your patient, BVM attached to oxygen, ready to go and turned on, uh, CO2 monitoring also ready to go. So it's, uh, available to attach. And then you'll need a tube tamer. Um, if your provider has not already gotten this, then bougie oral airway LMAs and sheets for optimal head placement and the scopes and in the patient box, I'm sure the provider had already grabbed. So that's it. That's my nursing intubation checklist. And until next time for part two, which is post-intubation care. So if you're a super nerd like me and you want to know what's in that provider intubation checklist, I will have two available in the show notes at recessnurse.com. So one will be from Scott Weingart and the other will be from Ruben Strayer. And you can pick your poison. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Yunsi Dursa. Peace. You've just listened to an episode of the Recess Nurse Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Yunsi Dursa. Check out the website, recessnurse.com, for show notes, a place to leave your comments, and start a conversation. You can also follow me on iTunes, Twitter, and Facebook. 